If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 15, where we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Acts chapter 15. Um, let me bring just a little bit of an explanation. Somebody said, well, why are you sitting down lately? Real simple. When I stand up, I move my arms like I can't sit still. And then I hurt for an hour afterwards because <laughs> my chest still is sore. La- uh, three weeks ago, they went into my chest and the pectoral nerves, and you could see it on the screen. They stick a needle right in the center of that nerve, and all of a sudden they start squeezing the syringe. You could watch the nerves blow up. And uh, so the doctor said, how long is this thing going to last? He goes, I don't know. He goes, sometimes they last five days, sometimes they last five months. Sometimes they don't work at all and so forth. I'm like, sweet, let's go for the five months. He goes, okay. So he goes, it's going to hurt for four or five days, and then it should start feeling better. Great. So he wasn't lying. It hurt for four or five days, started feeling better. For a week, I had no pain in my chest, and then it lasted for only that week. And so it's back. So I find when I sit down, I don't wave my arms as much. It doesn't hurt afterwards. So forgive me if I'm not my flamboyant stuff, you know, all over my arms in the air. So any rate, maybe some of you like that better because I'm calmer that way. I don't know. But any rate, stories of God's goodness. Acts chapter 15, we're going to be beginning in verse 12 today. And uh, I encourage you to be there. And uh, I want to just kind of introduction, by inter- way of introduction, um, you know, I'm going to say a couple things I've said a hundred times. And I'm going to say it again because we've got to let it sink in a little bit. Uh, I've said it many times, but people can argue theology, doctrine, church, and a host of other religious things, right? Um, you may have a belief about Calvinism or Arminianism or, you know, standards of what your hair should like look like or whether or not you, you know, people argue religiosity all the time, every day, all day, and it doesn't get us anywhere. But it's really hard to argue my story. When I look at someone and say, this is what God did in my life, this is how God changed it. This is how God made my life better. It's my story. You can't argue that. You can say, well, God didn't do that. Yeah, He did. If you look at my life, how it was versus how it is now, God did a miraculous work, and it's hard to argue that. And every one of you has a story if you know Jesus. The question is, what are you doing with it? When I tell you what I've experienced God do in my life and in my presence and in my circumstance, it's my truth. It's what I've gone through, right? You have a story. What are you doing with it? I find it so often, in, and it happens in churches, especially in older established churches, that you have a, a, maybe a certain percentage or maybe a majority percentage of people who have been here for many, many years. We have people here that have been here for 40 years at this church. Some of you have been longer than that. Some of you have been here four months. But regardless of the fact that it seems like the longer we're in a situation, it seems the less excited we get about the things that God was doing. Sometimes we want to live in the past. You remember 40 years ago, we had this many people at this event, and God saved seven people. Right, but you can't live in the past. You can't live there. And if you're trying to live there, you're not going to see God do something in the future. You've got to live in the now and what you're planning and praying God to do in the days ahead. I can only deal with today. I can't go back and change the past, right? But if you have a story, don't lose the excitement of that story. Don't forget what God did for you. And remember, I've said it many times, God saves some people out of some things, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But God saves some of us from some things. But either way, the miracle is that God saves. 
And if you've been saved by God, you have a story that somebody needs to hear. Somebody say amen. I don't know. This was the case with Paul and Barnabas as we come into Acts chapter 15. Uh, We've read the accounts and heard all the stories of how they went from town to town preaching the gospel, performing miracles, and doing the works of the ministry. They were giving their first-hand accounts of the many things that they observed in their travels. So if you would, just kind of listen as I read beginning in chapter 15 and verse 12. It says, Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with his words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruin. I will set it up, so then the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. And when you start thinking about all these, I mean, notice what they said. He said the multitude kept silent. Why is it that they were silent? They were hearing the stories of what God was doing. I don't know what it is. I can sit there and say, okay, we're going to have Greek 101 uh, this coming Saturday from 9 to 11. How many of you are going to show up for Greek 101? Maybe one person. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> maybe, maybe we can do that. No, just kidding. Um, most of the time, we're not going to sit there. I mean, the, the draw a crowd over theology, unfortunately, in this culture, doesn't work. But here's what they were doing. They were telling the stories of what God had been doing. I mean, you think about this. Over the last several months, we've been looking from Acts chapter 1 now into Acts chapter 15, and we have heard town after town after town after town after town where they have been gone, going through preaching the gospel, doing miracles, performing the work of the ministry, and over and over they had just experienced so much of God's work in their lives that they had so many stories, and they were just simply telling the story of what God had done and who he was. And as they were doing it, people were silent. That's what his word says. It says, verse 12, The multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. So they listened to him talk about the miracles they observed. They listened to him talk about the wonders performed among the Gentiles. And all of these things were in accordance to what was prophesied in Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. He said, there is going to be a remnant. He said, I will raise up a remnant. And he even specifically names what that remnant would be. He says, they were going to be those who were of the Gentiles. He says, these Gentiles that are called by my name. And God was fulfilling his prophecy by saving the Gentiles. God knew, as we spoke about last week, that the law could never save anyone, right? And since the Jews would not budge on their system of the law, God opened the door of salvation to the Gentiles. But it was all in fulfillment of His prophecy and what He said He was going to do. He was going to raise up this remnant among them. So, when you look at what God is doing in Acts chapter 15 in conjunction with Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So over and over he had to remind them again and again and again. He says, you guys are bound to the law, but the law will never save you. 
If the law was brought about through, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ did not have to die. He died in vain. He goes on in Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? He says the law did not change anything. We looked at it last week in the first part of uh, Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. He said, you know, in conjunction with Galatians, it says how the law was used as a schoolmaster, as instruction to bring his people to grace. Because you realize that you cannot keep the law completely. No one can function fully under all the guidelines, all the rules, all the regulations. Because he said, if you break them on one point, you're guilty of all of them. He says, you did not receive the Spirit by the works of the law, but by the hearing of faith. And then Galatians 3.21 says, is the law then against the promises of God? He says, certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly the righteous would have been by the law. He said, if by some way stretched circumstance he could have done it by the law, then it would have happened, but it didn't. Christ came and fulfilled the law. He died on the cross. He shed his blood so that you and I might have forgiveness of sin. And I love what he says in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Because now, once I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what does Romans tell us? Or 1 Corinthians 6 tell us? That the Holy Spirit now lives within us, right? He is with us everywhere we go. You can't get away from Him if you tried, right? Bottom line, He is with you. It says in verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. He says, I'm free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin to the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He says, here's the deal. I know you have all these rules, these regulations, these guidelines that you feel compelled to follow and live within. Wonderful. But these things are not going to save you. He says, once I sent my Son to die on a cross... He said, now you have Jesus Christ. He came to fulfill the law. You're no longer bound to the law. But here's the thing. Do I want to murder? No. Do I want to steal? No. Do I want to bear false witness? No. You see, he's not saying those are wrong. He's saying you can't fulfill them in your flesh. You can't. And if you're guilty of one point, you're guilty in all of them. He goes, Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. And he said, you realize you don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we have the Spirit living within us, and it's that Spirit that is that still small voice that every time you start thinking wrong thoughts, you probably shouldn't be thinking that. That's the Holy Spirit. You probably shouldn't be watching that. That's the Holy Spirit. You should probably spend some time in prayer. That's the Holy Spirit. You know, you should probably spend some time. That's the Holy Spirit. You shouldn't say that about this. That's the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit's been giving, given to us, living within us, so that we can live the life that God has called us to, a righteous and holy life, apart from the works of the law, but according to the Spirit that lives within us, teaching us, guiding us, living His life through us. That's the gift of Jesus Christ to us. And then, here's the problem. Some of you, have said no so many times to the Holy Spirit that you forget what it even sounds like when He's beginning to speak. And that's unfortunate. But here's what you need to do. Repent. And say, God, speak to me again. And let me just tell you, 
you have the Holy Spirit within you if you know Jesus. At what point did you begin to think that I can do life without him? He says, apart from me, you can do most stuff. Apart from me, you can do many things. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you really believe that? I'm going to speak for myself for a minute this morning. I'll, I'll just be honest about myself. I do too many things apart from the Spirit. Why? Because I'm used to doing it that way. I don't like it. I don't want it to be that way. But I'm so often just living according to my flesh that I just do what I do without taking time to pray, without taking time to think through what the results of this action might be. And God just continuously, is the older I get, the more God is speaking to me and saying, you can't do it that way. This is fleshly. And if you do it according to the flesh, you're going to have fleshly results. But if you do it towards the Spirit, you're going to have spiritual results. And I don't know about you, but I want to control the results. Anyone else? I want to control the results. That's my flesh. And by the way, it's yours too, whether you want to admit that or not. You can repent later. But the reality is we cannot do anything apart from the Holy Spirit living within us. You can't. You can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough. I said something to my wife the other day. We were having a conversation about someone. I said, here's the deal. I said, that person is not very wise. And the comment was, well, she's really, really smart. Right. Do you realize that you can be really, 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 really smart and not be wise? Wisdom comes when you apply what God has taught you. So you can operate in the flesh in your own knowledge, or you can surrender it to the Spirit and walk in wisdom. There's the difference. In Romans chapter 13, verse 8 through 10, it says, Owe oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. You want to live according to the law? Show love to someone. How many struggle with showing love to others? Be honest. The other half of you can repent later again. Um, I just know it's like this in this world that I live in. I have my to-do list. I have my things I need to get done. I have things that I'm thinking through. I have people I need to make contact with. I have people that I'm trying to get things done for. And my life goes like this way more than it does this. It's not about me. He says, owe no one anything except to love one another. And when you do that, that will fulfill the law. He says, for the commandments, you should not commit adultery. Okay. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You should not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in the saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because when you love someone else, you're not worried about stealing from them. When you love someone else, you're not worried about coveting what they have. You know, I've learned in this stage that I'm in at this stage in my life, is like, I don't get jealous. If you get a new car and my car's a heap of junk, I'm going to say, praise God, you got a beautiful car. Sweet. I'm so excited for you. Why is it that we get jealous when other people get things? Or we sit back and say, well, how did they do that? I know their income. How did they afford that? And we start judging and stereotyping. Why not rejoice with them? God's Word says we're to rejoice with them and rejoice and weep with those that weep. When I love someone correctly, that's the fulfilling of the law. He says when you love someone, you won't want to commit adultery with them. I have too much love and respect for them. I don't I want to steal from them. Why would, they, why, would I, why would I take from them what they've worked so hard to, to, to buy? It's not mine. 
But the world we live in so revolves around the flesh and around its pleasing self that we don't think about loving them to the point of we're not hurting them. You say, well, they're not Christians. And your point is, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples by or what? Love for those who are Christians. Is that what it says? It says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples by our love for one another, even those who aren't saved. This watching world needs to see that you are walking and knowing Jesus. They need to see that. And so he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. How many of you have ever loved someone and it just, that was a bad thing? Wow. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. There's so much there that we need to apply. The law is not going to get you anywhere. But having the Spirit within you, guiding you, directing you, will accomplish much. But I love what he gets down to verse 7. They were reminded of how God chose to use Peter to reach the Gentiles. Look down uh, chapter 15, verse 7. This is from last week. He says, And then there had been much dispute. Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God chose for whatever reason to use Peter to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Now remember last week as we saw, the Jews had this idea that you had to become Jews and be circumcised before you could become a Christian. And he said it doesn't work that way. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. So notice his purpose. So that the rest of mankind would be saved. Um, Look at chapter 15, verse 17. Uh, Why did he do this? So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. He says the Lord is the one who does these things. It's not this list of rules. It's not these regulations and guidelines. He says the God, it's God who works in their hearts to do the work in their hearts to draw them to himself. Peter had reminded them, as well as in Acts chapter 11, that Cornelius and his household were saved by hearing and believing, not by keeping the law of Moses. Remember, Cornelius was so excited, he goes, just go back, I want you to come. And as, as he was on his way there, he gathered all of his friends and family, and they're all under the house. He says, this, this story is so great. This, this gospel is so transforming. You've got to share it with everybody. And so he gathered under his roof, and, and, and under, in, his, in his home, all these people who needed to hear the gospel. And Cornelius says, I'm going to bring them together, and you're going to hear, and they're going to trust. And he says, it wasn't by the works of the law of Moses. He says, it was by faith. They heard and believed and put their faith in Jesus. And Peter reminded them again that salvation was by faith, not by works. And we know what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says. But they were reminded that God honored his word. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 5 says, Therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He's reminding them. He said he didn't do it by command you to keep the law. He said he did it by faith. Here's the question. Do you truly live out your faith? God's Word tells us to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? What does that mean? Am I living it out daily? Am I saying, God, what is it about my life, Lord? Am I surrendering everything to you? It's not a matter of rules and regulations. I've said many times, you know, when I got married, I should have got the manual. Man, I would have had some easier years if God would just give me a manual. I mean, not not this one, because that's obvious. I mean, the book that says 
men do this, men don't do this. That that manual. I didn't get that one. Any other guys think you should have got that? Those first couple years, I should have got that. But I didn't. But what I've learned over the years is it's not the manual that keeps me out of trouble. It's the love. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And love results in an action, right? I can say that I love you, but if I don't back it up with my actions, right? So he said love is a decision that results in an action that expects nothing in return. That's love. I chose to do this. And I do it to meet a need. I do it to help you. I do it because I chose to do this. It results in an action. And not just words. I'm putting my feet to behind it. And I, whether you accept it or not is irrelevant because it's right for me to do. I'm not expecting anything in return. That's putting our faith and trust in God and loving Him in such a way. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. But God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Why? He gave us the Holy Spirit to fulfill what he's asked us to do. Not in our flesh because we cannot do it. They were also reminded of God's commitment to saving those outside of the Jewish community. In Zechariah chapter 8, and we see this throughout the whole thing, he says, Known, verse 18, known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Mo, uh, Moses has had through many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. There were those who were being brought to Jesus outside of their Jewish community. In Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 20 it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of the one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. Yes, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. God was doing his work outside of the Jewish community to bring, bring in those who are outside the family into the family. How were the Jews to treat those nasty, despicable Gentiles? I mean, those perfect Jewish people. How were they to treat the Gentiles who were coming to the Lord by faith rather than by the law? Verse 19 says, don't trouble them. Man, it was hard for them to be hands-off, wasn't it? They wanted to put the rules, the regulations, the stipulations. You've got to be circumcised. You have to do this. You have to fulfill the law. He, he said, leave them alone. You know, when someone comes to faith, and I've watched this over the years, Kind of maybe a little bit of a parallel, maybe not a strong one, but none the, a parallel nonetheless. I've watched someone over the years make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And then Christian B over here wants to be judgmental toward, well, did they really get saved? Did they really get saved? Well, I don't know. They quit drinking beer. They quit smoking. They've been in church every week. They went and got a haircut when no one told them to do it. I mean, everything started to change. Boom, 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 boom. And no one told them to do it. I don't know. Did they get saved? Who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? Get a little quiet in here. Quit judging people. God knows whether or not they're saved. I'm going to keep encouraging them. I'm going to keep walking with them. I'm going to keep praying with them. I'm going to keep teaching them. I'm going to keep discipling them. I'm not going to judge them. I'm not the Holy Spirit, and neither are you. Encourage them. 
If you're not sure about their profession of faith, pray for them. Talk about them all you want on your knees. But don't discourage them. I had one person come up to me a couple years ago and say, I'm so discouraged. His family doesn't think I'm saved. And I put my faith in Jesus. I said, don't worry about what they think. You and God know that answer. Grow. Don't give up. Keep reading, even though you may not understand everything. Keep praying. Even if it's just a little bit each day, keep praying. Folks, encourage. Don't discourage. So you got all these Gentiles coming, and the Jews are like, well, they didn't come the same, same way I came to Jesus. He says, don't trouble them. And not only that, verse 20, you see another thing that they're doing. But that we write to them to abstain. So in other words, disciple them. Can I just say a couple things that you may not like? You might get a little ticked off at me over. Who are you mentoring? I think every one of us in this room needs to have a Moses or a Paul and a Timothy. Every one of you should be investing in somebody. Who are you investing in? Who are you encouraging? Who are you discipling? Who are you mentoring in the Word? Who are you investing in? Your family is not the only one that should be given attention. That's easy. You live under the same roof most of the time. But who are you investing in? Who are you encouraging? Rather than getting judgmental, invest. Rather than getting discouraged because you don't see the fruit, teach. We talk about it as a church, but we don't do a good job of it. Amen? We talk about it. But we need to do a better job of actually doing it. I'll be the first one to admit that. I'm excited what God's going to do. We're starting some exciting things I'm going to be talking about later. I can't wait to start. Boom. I, 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 yeah, now, I'm the, now you're wondering what it is. I'm not going to say. Um, can I just say this? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are things that, they, that you could teach someone if you're willing to do it, and they're willing to learn. So in verse 19, he says, don't trouble these among the Gentiles who are turning to God. Don't add your stipulations, your regulations, and your guidelines to say, well, if you could only do this, you'd be a better Christian. Trust me. Encourage them. Edify them. Build them up in the Word, not your opinions, not your preferences but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted from idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled from blood. He said in these three areas, and I like what Johnny Hunt says, he goes, encourage them to not be contaminated. In other words, don't cause someone to stumble about you know, this whole idea, Romans 14, and not eating meat that is offered to idols. He goes, you know, listen, he says if, these, if they understand that this was offered to an idol, and man, to me it's just a piece of meat, it's going to be great with some A1 sauce on it, let's eat it, right? He says, listen, if it's going to cause a brother to stumble, don't do it. Don't do it. Just simply don't do it. Don't do it. It's really simple. Don't do it. They need to be taught that. Well, it's my life and it's my flesh and I can do whatever I want. I'm my own person. I, I, I just stand before God. Right. But you do it to flaunt it sometimes. Some of you have freedoms that other people don't have, not necessarily sinful, but if it causes that person to stumble, you shouldn't take those freedoms in front of them. Shouldn't do it. If it causes a brother to stumble, don't do it. 
And then it says fornication. They need to learn purity. This background, I remember these were the despicable, hateful, sinful Gentiles who were turning to Jesus. They had a lifestyle that was just ungodly. Yeah, teach them. Fornication is wrong. Sometimes we think of adultery as just having stolen a, a wife or a girlfriend or what. You, you realize that adultery, according to the book of James, is even adultery with things that you put in place of God. You have better relationship with that thing, that material item, that money, than more than you do God. That's adultery as well. Ouch. Who gets your attention? Who gets the focus of your life? And he says, strangulation. Don't offend the Jews by doing the things that bother them purposefully. He says, you know, strangling the blood of these animals. He goes, the Jews didn't like, don't, don't do it in front of them. Don't do it. And then he goes on to verse 25, and I think there's just a beautiful thing here that we forget. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord. Do you know that God loves unity? He loves unity. You know how we have unity? Ephesians 4.16 says, till we come to the unity of the faith. So the faith will bring us unity. When we're gathered around the Word of God, we can have unity there. But unity also comes when I don't have to have my way. You know, you know how many, how much input I've had to the color of anything in this building? I could give a flying flip. I really could. Most of you know me that if you come up to me and say, Pastor, can we paint that room? I'll say, here's the credit card. Go do it. Buy the paint. Get it. I don't care. I don't have to have my way. And I, that was a big change from 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I wanted you to do it my way. And if you didn't do it my way, I'd tell you why you need to do it my way. And if you don't, I'm going to let you know what I'm going to think about it. 20 years later, I could care less. There are things that don't matter anymore. But I'm not going to fight over the color of the paint on the wall. I'm not going to fight over the carpet that we chose. I'm not fighting over the lights that are in the other room that are going to be hung later. I'm not fighting over that stuff. I believe that God wants us to be unified. Does that mean we're all going to agree 100% of the time? No, but there ought to be harmony. Right? Harmony, unity. God loves that. And it says in verse 25, if I can find it again, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord. Would have been better if it had been a Chevy, but accord works. Brian drives one. No, is that a cord? Civic. Civic, sorry. I got to get that right. But to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So much there. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by the word of the mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than those necessary things. He says, we're not going to make things difficult for you. We're going to just share what God has been doing. We're not laying the rules on you. not laying the regulations. We're not enforcing you to keep the law. He says, we're going to do those things that are not a burden. And he just reminds them again that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. He says, if you keep yourself from these, you'll do well. Still true today? Yeah. They ain't going to save you. You can be a good person. I'm not going to save you by not being involved in immorality. I'm not going to save you by doing these things. But here's the deal. If you're walking with Jesus, 
and the Holy Spirit's living through you, you're not going to want to do things that bother the Holy Spirit. You're going to want to do those things that bring glory to God. And then in verse 28 and 29, they affirmed this message again. For it seemed good to you through the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than the necessary things. They affirmed it. This is good for us. See, there are things that we do not because we have to, but because they're good for us. No one says I have to eat vegetables. But they're good for you. Even asparagus, right, Aaron? Wherever you are. He goes, that's of the devil. He says asparagus is of the devil. I love asparagus. Anything's good if you put enough bacon on it. Just saying. But upon teaching these things, they continued on in the ministry, verses 30 through 35. So really what they did is they began to teach them the things that they needed to do. They encouraged them not to trouble them, but to disciple them, teach them the things that were necessary for them to grow and that they could only do it through the Holy Spirit. And upon teaching these things, they continued on in the ministry. Look at verse 30. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. Remember the letter that we're talking about in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 11? Because they were arguing over this whole idea of circumcision, so they sent them to Jerusalem with a letter to discuss these things. So they delivered the letter. Uh, and then verse 31, it says, and they rejoiced over its encouragement. So it became a source of encouragement to, 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 to lay out the truth. And by the way, the truth will always reveal what is right in the word of God. And verse 32 says, now Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to, good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So we see three things that happen. Number one, they rejoice. Salvation by faith lifted the burden. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it'll lift the burden. They didn't have to follow the law anymore. Jesus changed all that. Putting your faith in Jesus will lift the burdens in your life. If you don't know him, the greatest thing you could ever do, the best decision you could ever make is to put your faith and trust in Jesus and to know him, have a relationship with him. You'll see that burdens are lifted. You know him, burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Jesus can lift the burdens. Number two, they encourage one another. Their salvation was so real and genuine that it wasn't about what they did or didn't do. It was about loving one another, encouraging one another. It was real and genuine. So they encouraged one another. So let me ask you a question. If your name is mentioned in a group of people, would they say encourager or discourager? Edifier or tear down? We all have a reputation. You're either going to lift up or you're going to tear down. You're either going to edify or you're going to tear down. They encouraged. And according to verse 32, they strengthened one another. They lifted them up with their words. Our words... Oh, my goodness, I wish I would have learned this earlier in life. I wish I could have learned this. You know, once you say something, you can't take it back. How many understand that? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I wish there were times I could take back what I said. In a moment of 
irritation, in a moment of frustration, in a moment of anger, I have said things to my wife, I've said things to my kids that I wish I had never said, the things that should never come out of the mouth of a believer. Maybe you're perfect. I'm not, just so you know. The reality is there are times in my life I've looked back and said, I wish I could unsay that. If I could just hit the, the rewind button and, and, and change that moment. But you can't. I wish I could. You know else been there? Y'all are sinners too then. That's good. I mean, amongst, amongst friends here. They were encouraging one another with their words. That is so important. What we do with our words are so important. Verse 35 says, I don't hear, I'm sorry, verse 35 over here. It says, uh, Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. They just continued on. They were steadfast. They didn't give up. I think it would have been very easy for them to give up. Man, I'm tired of the fight. These Jewish people, they're just jerks. They always want to add to whatever they're doing. They want to cause problems in every city we go to. They want to discredit us. They wanna, it would have been really, I mean, justifiable, right? In, in our flesh, you could have easily said, I, I give up. I'm done. I'm over it. But they didn't. They just kept going. Isn't that awesome? They didn't quit. And neither should you. In conclusion, let me give you four things, just four thoughts. Number one, what should you be doing with the story God has given you? What's your story? Who was instrumental in showing you Jesus? What were the circumstances around you coming to know him and you putting your faith and trust in him? Your story, what are you doing with it? I see in, the, in Acts chapter 15, verse 12, they were out sharing who God was and the people sat there in silence listening. People will listen if you're willing to share it. What are you doing with it? Number two, are you allowing God to use you to reach others? Is that even on the radar? We talk about field to field. We've seen 20 people make a profession of faith. Some were friends of friends of friends that showed up for a night. I'm glad they come. I wish I had more ability to track them down and to, to help them grow. We put things in their hands to help them grow for steps after putting their faith in. I, I wish all that was true. But here's the thing. You have an opportunity. And one thing Andy Stanley says that I appreciate, he goes, if you're not going to have a, enough faith to share, your gospel, share the gospel with the people that you know, at least get them here so I can. And can I say that? Get them here. We have an opportunity this week to hear stories of how God changes lives. Have you told one person? You've got a whole week that you can invite people to. 6.45 to 7.45, hear stories of how God changes lives. Have you even told one person about it? Come on now, let's be honest. You and God know the truth. Number three, how do you treat, how are you treating new believers? Are you being judgmental towards them? Adding stipulations? Telling them that they're not really saved because they don't do X, Y, Z? Or are you encouraging them, offering to mentor them, offering to disciple them? Who's your Timothy that you're investing in? Who's your Paul that you're learning from? Folks, we need the accountability of one another. Whether you agree with that or not, whether you like it or not, we need it. I need it. I need it. I have people that in my life that I give permission to ask me the hard questions because I want the accountability. 
My wife can take my cell phone at any given point. You guys can have my computer at any given point. We had a rule with our kids growing up, no deleting. And if you delete, I'll look at the history and find out you were deleting. That was an early rule early on. Why? For the accountability. I want to be transparent. Can't hide anything from God anyway, right? You all, you all know that, right? Ephesians 4, all things are naked and open before God with whom we have to do. Psalm 139, no matter where you go, God is there. You can't hide from God. He sees everything, just so you know. You can hide it from your friends, neighbors, coworkers, spouse, kids, but you can't hide it from God. So how are you treating others? Are you investing? And the last one, are you an encourager to those who need encouragement? Sometimes you have to stay a little bit longer than what you intended to stay because somebody needs you. Last night I was on the phone talking to a friend, and a text came in. And all it said is, marriage is rough. 10, 15 at night, guess what I'm doing? Hey, great to talk with you. Let me catch you later. I got, I got somebody I need in encourage and so for the next 30 minutes a couple texts i said stop texting call me we called and talked we looked at scripture and i said yes marriage is rough marriage is tough sometimes marriage doesn't always go according to your expectations but here's the thing god is great god has helped god can help you through it and we spent time in god's word and spent time in prayer Sometimes you got to just stay a little bit longer. 10, 15 at night, not what I would have chosen to do on the phone at 10, 15 at night. Kind of getting ready for bed. Anybody else? But sometimes you need to stay a little bit longer to encourage somebody. That's what we see that they did in Acts chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching. Sometimes you just got to stay where you're at. And keep doing what God has you doing. Even though the rest of them were going home. The rest of them were continuing on in the journey. They stayed there. Sometimes you just got to stay a little bit longer. Work a little bit harder. Ask God to do a work that only he can do. And he wants you to do it. It's easy to say, well, hey, pastor, can you call this guy? He's going through a rough time. Yeah, I can call. But you have an opportunity to minister. You have that opportunity. You'll reach people that I never will and never can. Because you have a sphere of influence and a circle of friends that I don't know. And God wants to use you, you, to do the work that he has in mind, not me. Do you get that? He wants to use you, not me. So what are you doing to say, God, use me? Share my story. Reach others. Treating others with respect and loving them and encouraging them when they need it. Well, God's Word is full of things that we can learn from. Amen? From this simple story. See, it's all about the law. No, the law just keeps coming up. You're not going to get away from it in the book of Acts. It just keeps popping its ugly head up. Right? Just about the time you think you're through that section, nope, it's there again. And why does it keep repeating it? Maybe it's because they weren't getting it. And he has some things for us to learn from it. Lord, I ask dear Father, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. I ask dear Father, Lord, that you would 
allow us to be honest with ourselves because, Lord, we're so good at hiding things from others and deceiving ourselves, Lord, thinking that we're better than we are. Lord, I can only speak for myself, Lord. We are sinful. Lord, I am. Lord, it's not what I want. It's not what I desire. God, I pray often, Lord, that you would give me a desire to want to be holy and righteous. And yet my flesh gets in the way. My selfishness gets in the way. My sinful pride gets in the way. And yet, Lord, you keep reminding us over and over that we need you, the Holy Spirit, to work in and through us to accomplish your will. So, God, do your work in us. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we ask these questions. What are you doing with your story? Maybe you have a story that someone needs to hear. Are you sharing it? Are you willing to let God use you? What has God done in your life that someone else needs to hear about? Are you, letting, are you willing to let God do something in and through you? Is that even on the radar saying, God, do something in my life? It needs to be on your radar. Who are you going to be a Paul to? Who are you going to be a Timothy to? Investing in others. How you treat others who are on the journey of walking with Jesus that may not be as spiritually mature as you are. How, you, how do you treat them? Are you loving them? encouraging them? Are you encouragement to those who need encouragement? And you say, Pastor, there's some things that I can learn from today's message. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes. Yes. In the front and the back, yes. It's never too late to start doing what's right until it's too late. Until God calls you home, start doing what's right. You have an opportunity today to him that knows to do right, to do good, and doesn't do it to him, it is sin, according to James. There's a moment that you have right here and now to say, Lord, forgive me. I repent of this sin of lack of obedience or lack of usefulness or lack of service or lack of whatever it is that God has challenged you through his word. And I'll say, Pastor, pray for me. There's some things that need to change. Yes, in the back, in the side. Yes, in the middle, yes. And I challenge those of you who have lifted your hands just for a moment to simply pray. Take this moment as Paul plays, and just simply pray. Simply say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me. May the Spirit work in and through me. Whatever it is that God has challenged you with today, be willing to do something about it. Don't just walk out and say, I'll deal with it later. Deal with it now while God's working in your heart to deal with it. Let this be an example to us. Let what Paul and Barnabas were doing, along with what Peter was saying, what James was saying in this chapter, speak to us. Let that relationship with Jesus, because the Holy Spirit lives within you, let it be real. Take a moment and pray. Ask God, because apart from you, you can't do anything. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be with each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning. Lord God, our flesh is so strong. The desires of this world are so strong. Lord, our selfishness is so strong. Our pride is strong. And yet, Lord, we pray that you would humble us. 
Lord, thank You for Your mercy and Your grace and Your forgiveness. Your patience with us, Lord, because God, we need it. And we are so blessed that we serve a God who is patient and long-suffering. God, we thank You for that. But Lord, I pray that You'd help us to learn from these things, to learn from Your Word, to realize, Lord, that Your Spirit lives within us. And Lord, we want to live a righteous and holy and obedient life. Not because we think we need to to get to heaven, but because we know it brings pleasure to You to live for You. You've done so much for us. It's the least that we can do for You. And Lord, we acknowledge we cannot do it apart from You. So help us. Be with each one that's here today, Lord, that we would truly surrender everything to You, Father. Thank you for all your spirit works. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.